So I was just informed by Brother Leo that, you know, the two air, new air conditioning units that we've had for the last couple of years are no longer working right now. So if you feel like that you're in an oven after about 10 minutes, you'll know why the air conditioning unit is off and they're brand new. So be in prayer as a side note as we look to get that repaired, brand new ones. Um, you know, today we're going to discuss the church, uh, Ephesians 25, 25 through 27. And um, I think that that particular passage is often used, and, and let me read it very quickly. Uh, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemishes, but holy and blameless. And, you know, we, you've been to any wedding, and, uh, and, it's, and, and, and Christ is at the center of that. You probably have seen some one reference to this, whether it be the person officiating it, the minister or the pastor, or uh, in people giving personal vows, uh, husband and wife to themselves. And it is a beautiful passage uh, that really talks about the washing of, of the word of God and, and loving her uh, the, the bridegroom towards the bride. But if we actually look at Ephesians as a whole, uh, that's not that piece. Ephesians as a whole is to the churches of Ephesus, and there's much going on. And at this time, Paul is in prison. And if we remember what a prison is like, it's not like the prisons today. They don't have a weight room and food. <laughs> it's like a hole in the ground. It's rough. It's archaic. And one of the things uh, that's going on is we remember that Ephesians or Ephesus is a, uh, it's a port uh, in the province of uh, Port City in, in the province of the Roman Empire of Asia, and it is a wealthy one. Much trade is going on, and they're fascinated and captivated by the things of the world, magic, sorcery, the occult. Matter of fact, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world was there, and that was the temple of Artemis, who was the uh, goddess of virginity. And they actually used to sell like these little temples with the little statues of, of Artemis in there. And they said, you can take it with you, and wherever you go, you can pray to Artemis. It'll be just like being at the temple back in Ephesus. And so and if you remember back in, if we go to Acts 19, Paul, before he was in prison, was going through Ephesus, calling people to repentance in Christ, saying it's all about Christ. And he was on such fire. The Spirit was so on fire in him that even it was said in Acts 19, when he touched certain things and you touched it, you could sense the presence of the Spirit of God there. It was so, he was so on fire. And it was a need because he was battling it out against like the Jewish exorcists and the occult of that time. And matter of fact, uh, if you remember about Acts 19, that's when they had that nice book-burning party. All the individuals who actually put their name, uh, put their faith in Christ, repented of their sins, took all their books on the occult and sorcery and magic, and they burned it. So this is what we're dealing with. So they still have that going on there, and Paul is in prison. And he is calling them to understand that God through Christ, has reconciled all of creation to himself, and he's united both Jew and Gentile into one church, all under one church. We have to think about the significance of that, 
Because up until that point, the Jews said, hey, this is just for us. Even though God never told them that, he was setting them aside to be kingly priests. But hey, they come to the conclusion through their own just talking amongst themselves, hey, you know what? This is for us. Now he's saying, no, actually, it's for the Gentile and you. There is a significance in that that I think we can easily overlook. If we look at the, the, uh, the separation right now we have just in our own country uh, between ethnicities and culture, is a significance that everyone, regardless of their differences, can be united under one great God who created them. Amen. And so there's a huge significance to this. So the passage, while it references husband and wife, it really, we're not going to concentrate on this piece. We're going to concentrate on the part how it references the church. Because what this particular verse is referencing is on husbands and wives in reference to Christ and the church. And all of Ephesus is pointing to Christ and the church. So we're going to, if you would just walk with me on this, and we're going to spend time just on that, the church itself, okay? So did you know that we are the bride of Christ? Did you know that you're a bride? If you've repented of your sins, you put your faith in Jesus, that uh, he calls you his, that you're a bride? There, it, it's hard for a man to say, I'm a bride. <laughs> no man walks around saying, I'm a bride. <laughs> and darn happy about it. <laughs> but in Christ, yes, we do. And we have much to talk about in that. God has used this imagery from the Old to the New Testament. You could go to Jeremiah 2.2. He says, I remember the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness in a land not sown, referring to how he took the Israelites through the desert and into the promised land. And he's showing you right now, giving you that sort of symbolism of them being the bride and God himself being the bridegroom. Or in Revelation 19.7, and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready, referencing the end time when Christ comes and we get our resurrected body, and now the bride is ready, ready and waiting to go with the bridegroom. I can sense that the air is getting a little bit here, so I will move a little quicker. <laughs> so now everyone's not drenched uh, walking out of here. But when we read that his holy love for his bride, the church, moves him with a purpose to make his bride holy, we should be stirred up by that. And I'll tell you, sometimes I'm not stirred up by it. And I'm usually not stirred up by it when I'm not in his word. We've got to be in his word to be stirred up about the things of God. And we'll talk about more what that looks like in a sanctification walk. If we look at Ephesians 1, 22 to 23, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills, in, fills all in all. He's the head of the church. So when you repent of your sins, you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You have been purchased and you are his bride. And when the brides gather together, we make up the church. Amen. Remember, the church is not the building. We can say that, but we really can't say it enough. The church is not a building. So 
When you think of you going to a church, you should be thinking of, I'm going to an area where there's a gathering of believers. A church is specifically a gathering of believers. Now, for those that don't believe that come to church, they are part, they come to that gathering, and by His grace, as the church is being grown, stretched, and being brought closer into a more intimate relationship with God, so may they be brought to an understanding and repentance and faith in Jesus, and then they're added to the number of that local church. Does that make sense? So it's not exclusionary. It is purposeful. The church is the gathering of believers. And too often we can get used to saying, because we've grown up with it, I have Jesus, and we've never really repented of our sins and put our faith. And I just have to, I'm going to keep saying it because I think it's something that I see so many people when they say, I'll say, you know, it's about Faith alone in Christ alone. Oh, yeah, I have it. I have it. Hey, do you remember when, when did the Lord show you that you were a broken vessel and that you can only be repaired through him? And there's a blank look. Or, well, you know, I've always kind of have. No, you actually have never always had Christ. We bear the image of God. Our love, our caring, the things that we do, but it's marred by our sin nature. And, but we're a child of God when we have repented of our sins and put our faith in Jesus. And then we are guaranteed a spot in heaven. Romans 9.9 tells us if you don't have the spirit of Christ, then you don't belong to him. And that's very important because if the spirit of God is in you, then there'll be resulting fruit. Uh, there will be fruit onto God. That means it doesn't mean you're transformed instantly uh, where all of a sudden this, this fallen nature body is still there. And we'll talk about more of that in a minute. You still struggle with that. But you are transformed on the inside, and what's on the inside starts to work its way on the outside by his grace. So repeat after me, church. Christ loves his bride. Christ loves his bride. And we're going to look at three areas uh, of what Christ's love does towards the church. Okay? Number one, uh, Christ's love cleanses. Repeat after me. Christ's love cleanses. Christ's love sanctifies. And Christ's love endures. So let's go with, uh, start with Christ's love cleanses. So husband, husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. So I feel like we can't hear the truth enough. So it, I think sometimes, well, not sometimes, the world looks at this whole Adam and Eve story and goes, oh, that's so cute. No, actually, that's a real story. God created Adam, and out of Eve, out of Adam, he created Eve. And the two was in communion with God, and they were in perfect union, and God walked amongst them. And he told them what they could do and what they sh cannot do. They did what they could do, and then they also did what they could not do. <laughs> and it caused separation. It was sin. And the God we serve is so pure, perfect, and holy that there is no such thing as this little sin and this heavy is different than this other sin. It lands you in the same place, which we'll talk more about in a minute. Sin, Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. They didn't have any clothes on them. God had to give them some clothes. <laughs> they didn't own a thing. It says a lot about God entrusting us to be a steward, but in the end, he owns everything, right? Because he is the creator of all. 
And so from that point on, we see the progression of the sinful nature of man. And, but here's the thing. Man cannot save themselves. They never could. I remember having a conversation with someone before on the street, and I said, so how does one get right with God? She's like, well, all we have to do, I said, well, why haven't we done it yet? Well, because, I said, wait a minute, you can't keep giving me excuses. We've been around long enough, either we're going to do it or we're not. Why haven't we? Well, it's because we can't. We are trapped in sin. That was a great lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. Oh, you'll be like God. And you'll know of good and evil. But he didn't tell them, hey, but once you actually are aware of evil, you will never be able to stop it. That's why God says that if you go to Isaiah, I love the book of Isaiah. He says, your righteousness is like filthy rags. We can get caught up into niceness and goodness. Listen, your righteousness is like filthy rags. He also tells you, I will lay out, in Isaiah 57, I will lay out your good deeds and they will not help you. What does that tell you? There's nothing you can do to make yourself right between you and God. Nothing. That's why when we go, we can go back as early as Leviticus 17, 11 and before that, obviously. But uh, for the life of flesh is in the blood and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your sins. God was training the Israelites up to understand that, listen, there must be atonement for your sins. There must be bloodshed for your sins. That's how serious it is. There's life in the blood, and a life is lost, and blood is shed for your sins. So we had them doing had these ceremonial rituals, and they would, you know, you lie or you do what, a particular sin, any sin, and you go to the priest, and you have an unblemished animal, and he'd slay the animal on your behalf. Well, here's the thing, though. When they would do that, it would not count for all times. It would just count for that sin. That's why he goes on to tell you, Leviticus, that the blood of a goat and bull never satisfied it. It was never a permanent satisfaction. Does that make sense? So, but it was pointing them towards Jesus Christ, the Messiah that God from the old to the new had told them about that would be coming. So when Christ died on the cross for our sins, the blood of a pure, perfect God, it satisfied the pure, perfect wrath of God the Father. In other words, only God can satisfy God. We cannot. And that's something very important because I think even for those of us that have Christ in us, we forget about that and we do a works-based thing. I'm guilty of that. And we pat ourselves on the back instead of, woe is me, praise the Lord. (laughs) Hebrews 9.22 tells us, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. God has clearly told us that there must be bloodshed, and it all points back to Jesus. We have no excuse. It is always and only through Jesus. So we think of Christ's love, that word love comes from the word agape, and that agape love is like this voluntary surrender and total commitment. You have to realize God did this on his own free will. It wasn't like he was forced to do it, and I think we forget that. I think it's because we have this fallen nature body, it's easier for us to, you know, if someone gives you a, a kidney or something, uh, and you just, oh, I'll do anything. You saved my life. And I've seen, you ever seen those stories where someone does something like that, and they're just like in tears. <laughs> then when it comes to Christ, we're like, oh, Christ died on the cross. Hey, pass the peanuts. It's no big deal. 
we should be in tears about these things because it's bigger than that. It's bigger than a limb someone gave you to save your life. But again, we can only be pumped up and stirred up by the things of God if we're actually communing with God daily. I know a lot of you are tired. You got many kids. Some of you got 10, 20 kids. And that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> and that's beautiful. And you're just trying to breathe. Put your head above the water. I need to breathe. <laughs> and that's a beautiful thing. And you praise God for the lives that you have to steward and so on. But we have to keep touching him any way we can. Use every time we can to touch him, even if it's just for a few minutes. Because if not, we'll be cold to him and we'll just be amongst each other saying, oh, yeah, it's all about Christ. But then the fruit of it that comes out will be really just flesh and it'll be nothing of the spirit. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, in other words, he extends that agape to us. Those who knew sin covered by the one who knew no sin. And that is very important for us to keep meditating on. We're the sinners. God is pure and perfect. And he died for us. And when he gathers us together, we are called the church. So if you truly have repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, then you are a bride of Christ. And when you gather with other brides, you are the church. How do you know you've been cleansed by Jesus? How do you know you've been cleansed by Jesus? It's because you saved someone's life. It's because you fed someone. You gave them money. All those things can be nice things and, and can be an outpouring of, of the Spirit of God. But here's the thing. Christ never did anything without pointing everyone back to the Father in heaven. He healed someone, he pointed back to the Father in heaven. He fed someone, he pointed back to the Father in heaven. And all the disciples the saints before us did that too. That is a commonality. So there's a difference between doing something nice and doing something nice onto God. Nice on the God means pointing everyone back to God. Nice on to yourself is just you do something at the moment. Hey, I fed him. Oh, that's great. It's probably, you know, what, what do they call that? Um, uh, pay it forward or whatever. That thing. <laughs> you, you do something nice and they'll come back to you or whatever it is. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. When we do something nice, it's because God had put it in us to do it. And we always want to point people back. And it's a hard thing. Let's be real. It is not easy when you're talking to someone to talk about Jesus when we're not in regular practice enough to do it. But we must do it because we're following in the saints before us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I do. And that's what he did at all times. Always remember, there's a difference between niceness and niceness in Christ. Niceness in Christ, you always point people back to Christ. Niceness in yourself, you're just doing something nice in the moment. There's a difference. So going and feeding someone is a nice thing, but if you have not called them to repentance, then you have not done the Christ thing. Now, I'm not saying that feeding someone isn't a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm saying we can pat ourselves on the back and say that's good enough. And if it was good enough, then Jesus would have said, it's good enough. Instead, he feeds the 5,000, he points them back. He heals the blind, he points them back to himself. Amen. Brings Lazarus from dead, he points them back to himself. That's what we have to do. And we're in part with that same spirit that brought Christ up from the dead. 
we tap into that same power. The same power that Paul in Acts 19 was on fire, where anything he touched, you could touch it afterwards. I was, whoa, I can feel the spirit. That's the same spirit we have now, and we have to tap into it. And we can only do that. Prayer to the Lord, asking, I want more of you, God. I need more of you. And studying his word. For Christ is the living word. So when we open up the word, we're actually opening up Christ. Very important. So Christ's love cleanses us. But Christ's love also sanctifies us. Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her. Do you know that we are, there's a sanctification process we say, what gives? I, you know, I have this fallen nature body, and I, sometimes I just don't feel like I got Christ in me at all. Because when I was angry, when someone cut me off, and I wanted to jump out the car, I certainly didn't feel like there was no Christ in me. Or when my brother in the church got on my nerves, I didn't feel like there was any Christ in me. We have to consider the process of what Christ is doing with us. When Christ on the first coming came, he's securing a spot for us in heaven. He is justifying us before God. So when he died on the cross, when he died on the cross, and his blood shed for our transgressions, for our sin, and you repent of your sins, put your faith in that very Christ, then you are instantly saved, and there is a, there is a place he's preparing for you in heaven. Okay? But that happens on the inside. You still got these fallen nature bodies. And so these fallen nature bodies have not been transformed yet. So that, the process of how you're justified before God instantly when you put your faith and repent of your sin, that's something that's referred to as positional sanctification. Basically, you take the position of Christ because he took on all your sins. So you take on the righteousness of Christ, and now as when God looks at you, he sees his son, a Christ follower, and you are saved, and you are now considered a child of God. But then there is what is called progressive sanctification. And this is where now that which has happened on the inside, we start walking it out on the outside now. And through all means of grace that he puts at our disposal, such as preaching and teaching of the word, praise and worship music, Bible study, the gathering of the saints together as we get together and we sharpen each other and correct each other and pray for each other, all these means of disposal. And we're slowly but surely, what's happening on the inside is now slowly but surely happening on the outside. And, or I like to put it this way, uh, our flesh, our bodies are being conditioned to change and be obedient to the Holy Spirit. Where before our bodies were captive by sin and we were a slave to it. But thanks to Christ, he freed us from it. So now that's happening on the inside. On the outside, you don't always feel like it because you've got this fallen nature body. So that progressive sanctification is something that you're in right now. If you put your faith in Christ and repent of your sins, you're actively growing to be more in Christ-likeness. And the foundation and area where we grow is the gathering of the brides in the local church. That is very important where we grow. The Lord uses that as a mechanism for growing and stretching us because there's so many things that come out of the local church body. 
And then when Christ returns, there's something called final sanctification. And that's where the work he began, he completes. And we get a new resurrected body. So now the outside is matching what's happened on the inside. And now we can fully stand before God. Do you know if you died right now, if I ask you, well, what's going to happen to you? Do you know where you go? You can go to 1 Thessalonians. So it says that the spirit will return to the God who created it. Or you can go to Luke 16, 24, and that really gives you a picture of the rich man in which uh, he says, I'm in anguish in, these pain, uh, anguish in these flames, and that's only in the spirit. That's not even the flesh. When you die, your body is in the grave or cremated, and your spirit either goes to be with Christ in heaven or hell, and you're suffering in a suffering that you have not seen before. Trust me, if God, <laughs> the things of God is much greater than we can actually imagine. There will be no suffering like we've ever seen before uh, when, you, when you talk about being in hell. It is something that we don't want to find out because by the time you find out, you can't get out of it. <laughs> Matter of fact, in Luke 16, 24, he says there's a chasm and he goes, he's reaching, I want to go back and tell my brothers. He goes, well, they why are they going to listen to a dead man? But clearly he could see, but he can't get out of it. Once you're in... It's done. So your body is in the ground and your spirit goes to be with Christ or goes to be in a status of hell. And when Christ returns, in the, it says in the twinkling of the eye, I think a good read is 1 Corinthians 15. Read all of it, but especially 45 to 55. And it, it lets you know the status you need to be in. You cannot be before God in this current fallen nature. You can't be in spirit because that's been changed. You've been given the spirit of God. So when Moses said, hey, show me your glory, he's like, if you look me in the face, Moses, you will surely die. That's how serious it is about sin. And if you don't take sin seriously, I'm telling you right now, if you don't take it that serious, it's only because of what you're doing and how you live in your life. To not take this seriously and to be tuned out and to be half dead is because that's how you're living your life. You're not touching Christ at all. You're not in the Word of God. You're not in the community of the church. You're not being sharpened at all. You're just in the world, and you're telling yourself you'll get there. I'm telling you, you don't know when you're being called home. Do not waste time. So... We must pursue God on this side of the cross. Remember how I mentioned that progressive sanctification? If we go to Peter's, 1 Peter 1.15 and Hebrews 12.14, it talks about striving for peace, conduct, and holiness. There's an active pursuit. I see so many Christians where they're just like, oh, you know, I'm saving good. And we're just like, we love the position of being in Christ, but we don't want to do anything else. And again, it goes back to what we're doing in Christ. If you don't have passion about Christ, it's because you're not about him on a daily basis. And I can tell you, I know a lot of you got kids and family. That can't be an excuse. It can't be. Because God knows where our heart really is. He knows what's really going on. I have one kid. It can't be an excuse. If you have 30 kids, it can't be an excuse. If you have no kids, it can't be an excuse. There is no excuse. We can pick up his book for five minutes and pray and, and study some scripture and, and look at a breakdown of a study Bible. And then do it again a few hours later and do it again. If you, we can always do it. He tells us we are affected by the application of the word, this edification that goes on in the local church body. It's very important. 
So on this side, and keep in mind, you're not doing it on your own. He's not calling you to something and just leaving you alone. The moment you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you instantly also receive the deposit of the Holy Spirit, which is the promise, the seal, that the work that he's began, he's going to finish. And that no one can grab you out of his hands. And you know you have the Holy Spirit because as time goes on, day by day, you're getting conviction, you're getting direction that it's all about Christ and only about Christ. And if you're not getting any of that whatsoever and still just doing the same thing, but saying you're about Jesus, I'll tell you, you may not know him whatsoever. And I think we should care enough for each other to say, brother, I don't know, I don't think you have Jesus. Or, hey, let's walk through what it looks like because I... I'm just seeing the fruit of the world, and you're saying you have Jesus, and nothing's changed at all. That's how we sharpen each other. So Christ's love cleanses, Christ's love sanctifies, and Christ's love also endures. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. As one saint describes it, in a wedding we hear these words, till death do us part. Why do we remind the bride and groom of their dying day on their wedding day? <laughs> we want them to value everything, every day of their marriage, because it will not be forever. Value your children, your friends, your colleagues, and the people God placed around you, because none of this will be forever. This is true. When we get into heaven, you're there's no pastors and there's no deacons, and there's no husbands and wives, we will all be worshiping God. So this is merely, all the things that are in our lives right now are merely a vehicle for growing us more in Christ's likeness. That's how we should view it. When you go to work, hey, that's a vehicle. And man, I feel like in the minute when you're working your butt off, you're like, man, I'm just making decisions all the time, and I don't feel like I have any Christ going on. But actually, Everything here is not going to be there in heaven, so it lets you know that it's a vehicle that, to transform you more in Christ's likeness. So you should be approaching everything as, what does Christ want me to do in this? How do I get more transformed at my job and live it out? It might not mean you get a chance to testify to everyone every single moment, but in your work ethic and in your conduct, you have Christ. Something I'm convicted of all the time. You can think about it, you're like, man, did I honor you today, God, or was I more slothful and lazy today? Ephesians tells, Ephesians tells us he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. God loved us in eternity before we were created. So his love is eternal. Amen. It's not short. It's always been for us. Before he even raised us up and formed us out of dirt, he loved us. Amen. What did he tell you? I knew you before you were formed in the womb. Psalm 118, oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. We repent of our sins. We put our faith in Jesus. And we're stirred up for that truth that he loved us before we ever came close to even knowing who he was. And we only know him by his grace. And again, if you're not stirred up by that, 
you got to ask yourself, do some inventory on what are you doing in your life? Being busy isn't a good enough excuse for any of us because he knows our heart. When a person has been saved by Jesus Christ, the natural outflow is loving to praise what God has done in their life. So let me ask you, when is the last time you praised to others about what God has done in your life? How about just to fellow Christians? When is the last time you praised what God has done in your life? Yesterday, last week, I dare say, what about non-Christians? When, is, when, when, when have you just praised what God is doing in your life so you look like one of those Jesus freaks? Are you one of those? I sure am, and I want you to be too. See, that's the problem, is that in order for us to really care about Christ, we've got to be all in. We can't be one toe in. We can't be one arm in. Because we keep acting like there's always tomorrow. There is not a tomorrow. I'm telling you right now, statistically, I think the stats are there's like two people die every 1.8 seconds around the world. Since we talk, a lot of people have died. Yes, a lot of people are born too. A lot of people die. A lot. Young, very young, old. Hey, just ask our our brothers who are doctors and, and, and are in the hospitals. What do they see? There's no discrimination. So what has, what has the Lord convicted you about in terms of your functional, what I like to call functional atheist, <laughs> where we, when we're here, it feels comfortable for a moment, and we say, oh, I love Jesus, then we go back out in the world, we really don't say anything else. I've said that many times before, but I think it's very important. We all can fall in there to be a functional atheist, where we just, we don't, we put Jesus to the side. So how do we take what we have here and take it out past those doors. So Christ's love cleanses, Christ's love sanctifies, and Christ's love endures. So my question to you is, what should be our response to how Christ loves the church? When you have confessed your sins and put faith into Christ, you are grafted into the kingdom of God. The local church, hear this, the local church is an earthly representation of the kingdom. The local church is an earthly representation of the kingdom of God. Yes, with warts and blemishes, because when Christ returns, he, we get full resurrected bodies, and then it'll be fully glorified. So it looks a little jacked up sometimes. <laughs> but we're an earthly representation you also know that when you actually put your faith in Jesus and repent of your sins, you are now a foreigner because the rest of the world wants nothing of Jesus. So you are now set aside. So you may have a house, but you're really a foreigner. The only place you're not a foreigner is at the local church gathering. So we must have not treat the local church gathering like an occasional thing, but the launching pad for all we do, not everything else, and then the church. Let's look at a few things. How about service? Listen, I, one of the things before, <laughs> we, we, we like to know that everyone who's, who's a member is actually volunteering. But it's not just about volunteering, it's the status of our heart. And, and when Heather actually pulled together information, I'll say the majority of people are 
volunteering in one format, one form or another, and that's awesome. So I'm not questioning people volunteering because, but what I'm questioning is the status of our heart every day on how we approach Jesus because we can actually check the box. If you go to Revelations 2, you will see about all the churches that just checks the box. And he starts with Ephesus, and he says, Ephesus, you've done all these great things, but you've forgotten your first love, which is Jesus. They went to Bible study. They sang praise and worship music. They gathered together, but their heart wasn't in it. They weren't about Jesus. Hey, if the Pharisees, when Jesus was roaming the physical earth, was roaming in physical form, could know the, gospel, the word that they had word for word and still reject Christ, that says a lot. We can also check the boxes and look very godly and still our heart not be about Jesus. That's very important. It's more about the heart. It'd be better if you barely did anything in the church because you're just so busy. Maybe you have a job where you work 100 hours a week, but you're so saturated with Christ that you want to touch him every time you want, every time you can. Nothing that fills my heart more when I see someone that I know is working a lot and they're coming in with their eyes half open. Not that you should. Sometimes you need to get rest. It's a good thing to get rest. All right? But I love it when I see it. And I know this brother wouldn't even want me to do this, but I used to love uh, when I saw Brian. He was uh, in residency, and he'd come in. That brother would be there like one hour of sleep, eyes half open. He'd come in, <laughs> and he would still want to serve. Now, listen, I'm not saying Brian is perfect. He's, he's a work in progress like we all are, so I don't want to build his head up too much. But I love the fact that, you know, this guy would be working off an hour of sleep, and then he would just come in, and he'd just want to praise and worship God. And when he wasn't here, I wasn't sitting back, where are you? You should be getting some sleep. And many of you have done your own version of that by his grace, because that's the Spirit prompting you. But this is the thing. When I talk about service, I'm talking about the fact that a lot of us we do a consumerism approach. So we go else everywhere where we have passions. Oh, well, the local church doesn't have this children's ministry, so I'm at this children's ministry out here. No. First, the local church, then ministry outside the church. Does that make sense? If the local church is our heaven on earth, then we have to treat it as such. So a lot of times people will serve everywhere and they'll show up to church, so you're basically pulling a cane. Remember Cain and Abel? Abel gave his first fruits and the best, and his heart was joyous to do it. Cain gave his worst, his leftover, and his heart was not about God. God even said to him, he goes, why do you look so gloom? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? And he still went on and killed his brother. It's the condition of your heart. I'm saying the church should be the foundation for our launching pad of everything we do. So if you're in multiple different ministries and you can't find it here in the church, then maybe you're going to have to get used to the Lord stretching you in a different area of ministry here first before you go out to where you have passion on. Don't give the church your leftovers. Does that make sense? Don't give the church your leftovers. Now, it's different. I'm not talking, some of you are working 100 and whatever hours a week. You're going to come in leftover because you have nothing left in the tank. That's a different story, all right? But, you, but you know what I'm talking about. Because even the ones that are busy... If you're making time for another ministry here, but you're not making time for doing anything in the church, there's a problem. Drop that. Get into the local church first. Tithing. I once had a couple come up to me and say, we're going to stop giving here because we're going to give to some other ministries elsewhere. I was so thrown off, I just couldn't say anything. I was like, I don't believe that's biblical. No, it's not biblical. You give to the local church. 
Then you give elsewhere. Don't give the local church your scraps. Oh, I've given to save the children and everything else. If you're part of the local church and you're a bride of Christ, you give to the local church first, then to everywhere else. Amen. No, this is not so Pastor Mike and Pastor Clee can have a new pair of Crocs. <laughs> All right? It's not about that. And when it comes to finances, I can tell you, we brought that in-house and we actually, and even before that, we have a fine detailed accounting on what we do with the money. And anytime you guys want to speak to us about it, we'll sit down anytime and we can t- go through the financials. And there's some of you that actually have experience in those areas that actually have been dealing with us, and you know and can attest to that fact. We don't play when it comes to the money that you give. But again, don't give 300 to somewhere else and give 10 here. I'm not saying, I don't care what you give, but if you're giving everywhere else in a little here, there's a problem. If you really love Christ, the local church is where it starts. Reconciliation, this is the hard one. Because it doesn't always come out the way we want it to. Sometimes, I think about Philippians and the two ladies that labored with Paul. And he says, if you can't agree on anything, agree in Christ. Sometimes people, because of where our hearts are hardened or based on whatever's happening that only the Lord knows, we try to reconcile with each other. Let's, let's face it. Many of us, we don't like being approached by anyone. We don't. And we don't like going up to saying anything. Because <laughs> we're so used to avoiding it. And we're all guilty of that. And then we leave a sister or brother hanging out who's trying to do something. And what are they to do? Because of the warts and blemishes on this side until we are, receive our resurrected bodies, reconciliation may just look like you just agree on Christ and you keep moving forward. Because if we're about the business of Jesus, then the other stuff is not going to be as big. I'm telling you, when you are about things of Jesus, the things that you are worrying about are less important. Guaranteed. Forgiveness. We got to forgive each other. Sometimes we got to forgive each other when we don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do that. I'll tell you, if you want to talk about someone who's stubborn, I will tell you that. My wife can testify to that. Stubbornness at the max. You, you look up stubbornness in Webster Dictionary, there's a picture of me in there. <laughs> because I, when I'm upset, then it's about me. We've got to forgive. That's how we do it in the local church. We forgive and say, you know what? Because if you're really about Jesus and you're pursuing him and you have an active walk of repentance, you're going to know you have one of those Paul moments where as you get closer to Jesus, you're going to recognize just how much more to bound and just how much, how deep the sin is for yourself. So then it might not be right away, but then a day later or an hour later, you're going to be hit with, man, I am awful. Let me be forgiving to this person. That's the fruit of it. Patience. We have to bear and have patience with each other. And I'll be honest with you, as much as I have patience at times, other times people can get on my nerves, and I'm sure I can get on other people's nerves too. And I don't always have patience. But it goes back to when we're walking with God and communing with his word, and we're in the local church body and we're mixing up with each other, he grows us. And when we see ourselves, we start to have more patience for others. Submission to the local body. Listen, one of the reasons why we have membership interviews uh, and, and go through the process of membership so you can understand exactly what are you committing to. You can't even so much as download an app nowadays without checking the box and saying, I commit to this. Because there's an accountability aspect. 
You are accountable to the local church body and the local under-shepherds. And the local under-shepherds are accountable to Jesus and to the body. So there's submission that goes on. Everyone gets the Jesus part right, but not the submission part. We have to invest in each other. Gather with the local body. I love Acts 2, 42 through 47. I think this just puts an explanation on it. And I can have the uh, prayer team uh, come up to the side and then um, also the worship team can start coming up too, so right towards the end. Acts 2, 42 through 47. The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the word of God, and to fellowship, spending time together, and to breaking of bread, food, and prayer, four things, teaching, fellowship, food, and prayer. They were gathering in the temple courts where the worship was going on, and then afterwards, this is what they were doing. That is the local church. Those are the brides of Christ. We get together here, it's a corporate gathering, then afterwards we have that fellowship. Now, that's not always easy to do every single time, but we should have some focus in our hearts and in our schedules for that. And I love how it says, they were serving one another and reaching out to those who needed to know the Lord, for the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's the fruit of being about God. The local church is heaven on earth, and we sharpen each other with all the means of disposal. That's why we need to be about that first than anything else. And then we have a passion about telling others so they can be added to our numbers. But if we're not, and we just at home, we close the garage door, it's not too much of anything. I would love it to be said, and many were being added daily to Restore's numbers. And we all were rejoicing. Amen? Amen. So this isn't a beat up on you, but we need to take an inventory of how we look at the church. We are the bride of Christ. When the brides gather, we form the local church. We are to be about the local church. Does that make sense? All right, let's pray.